right. Well, um, I felt like God had something specific. He always has something specific, but something kind of out of the, uh, just maybe out of the flow of what we've been doing on Sundays. And I find that he interrupts us maybe, I don't know, every four or five weeks from our normal topic. If you don't know what we've been normally talking about, we've been, as a body, we have been reading Danny Silk's book, Keep Your Love On. And if you don't have that book, I highly recommend that you pick up that book. It is a powerful, powerful tool to help us renew our minds and what it means to walk in love. You know, um, Romans 8 is pretty clear that we're predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And in case you didn't know, the image of Jesus is the image of love. God is love. And when we, you know, someday stand before the Lord and we all want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that, that it's going to, you know, maybe wonder if, if, you know, did we do this? Did we do this? Did we do this? But ultimately, really the lesson of this life, the lesson of this time in the temporal realm, this, this lesson that we get an opportunity to walk out in this time that is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity is the opportunity to learn to love. And it is the foundation of the Christian life. It is the purpose of the Christian life. It is the alpha and the omega. It's the beginning, it's the end. We were recreated by love, in love, for love, to love. It's the, it's the, it's, it's, it's the point. (laughs) It's the point. It's not a sidebar, it's the point. And so every week we've been teaching really kind of kind of jumping off on that book but we've been we've been talking about supernatural mind renewal we've been talking about um, just walking through the process of growing in love right and I've been teaching out of Ephesians 4 kind of around that too so that's kind of what we've been talking about um, if we, if you haven't been tuning in we have a podcast so you can go to iTunes and you can download the Prayer Mountain podcast and you can get caught up with what we've been teaching in the past weeks. But um, this week, and again, every once in a while, he'll just interrupt me and be like, I, I have something specific that I'd like to do. And, and, and so I'm like, all right, we'll just do whatever you do because guess what? That's what we, how we live. We do whatever daddy's doing. You know that you don't really have to have this grandiose scheme figured out for your life. You don't have to have the 12 steps. To, to happiness. You don't have to have, like, you know, your written vision. Like, I know, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I mean, I was an accountant. I mean, I've been run businesses. Trust me, I have been delivered. I've been delivered. I've been delivered from self-effort, and I've been complete. matter of fact, I retired. Actually, I, I died, but that sounds so dramatic. Um, I was dead is what happened. I didn't realize I was actually dead, and so I just retired I retired from ministry. I highly recommend it. Highly recommend that we just retire from our own efforts. The Christian life is so simple that it requires a childlike mind to actually live it. It requires just a a very simple mind. Matter of fact, we mature into simplicity. We mature into childlikeness. We remature into dependency. I didn't say depends, okay? (laughs) Dependency. We mature into dependency. So the more grown up we get, the more dependent we are. Um, So I'm going to talk today about just some compare and contrast, if you will, and talk a little bit about even how maybe hopefully tie in what we've been talking about into this. But I felt like I wanted to to talk about the spirit of sonship today, and I wanted to compare and contrast that to the orphan spirit. All right? Because the orphan spirit is the root of independence. Okay? It's the root of what causes us to be independent thinkers, independent planners, independent self-providers, self-protectors, you name it, all right? It's actually the root that gives us an idea of a self apart from Christ at all, which is completely an illusion. 
The only place that separation exists is right here. All right? You are not ever, ever, ever separated from the new creation that you became. But we live separated a lot. And that's why we we try to help God out. Right? We try to help him out with all kinds of things. We try to figure him out with independent thinking. You know, we'll get a prophetic word and then we go off independently trying to figure out how's that going to happen? What do I need to do to cooperate? Right? And that's not Christian living. That's religion. All right? The Christian life has one requirement, a simple requirement, and it's not even something that we do independent of him. We do nothing independent of him, for that is in of itself an orphan way of thinking. The one requirement is belief. That's it. That's why Abraham was called the father of faith, because he believed, and it was accounted to him righteousness. A simple belief, a simple way of believing is all that's required to manifest sonship. It's a belief system. Sonship is a way of believing. It's a, and, and let me just go this way. It's a way of being. Because believing and being are synonymous. You can't believe and not be. That's why the gospel immediately becomes a reality the moment we believe. The moment we believe, we be what we what we already were from God's perspective. The moment we believe, we be. And whatever we believe, we be. So if we believe orphan junk, even though we're sons, we be orphans. And God wants us to live out of our being, not our doing. All right, so there's nothing worse than orphans trying to be sons. Because sons don't have to try to be anything. Amen? Now, let me just, I'm going to jump in a couple of scriptures. I want to start today um, in Galatians. And I'm going to go to Galatians uh, chapter 4. And this is what the word of God says. Let's get very holy while we read it. All right. It says, now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. And the Amplified, it says, now what I mean is that as long as an inheritor is a child and under age. He does not differ from a slave, although he is the master of all the estate. Now, this is talking about um, if we are immature in our thinking, although we have an inheritance, although we have Everything that is our daddy's belongs to us. Everything that is our husband's, Jesus, belongs to us. Through the spirit of adoption, through the spirit of sonship, and through our covenant as his bride, through our union with him. Although we are an inheritor, as long as we have childish thinking, and I don't mean dependent thinking, I'm talking independent thinking, meaning we don't have our identity figured out yet, then we differ no more than a slave. Okay, we act as an orphan, even though we're a son. Okay, now I want to keep going here for a moment. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is a really interesting little I think, insight here. In verse 15, it says, 
verse 14, it says, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Okay, say dependent. As many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So we are maturing into dependency. All right, so childlike thinking, immaturity, that leads to slavery is independent thinking. So as long as you are a child thinking independently, you differ no more than a slave, even though you are heir over the entire estate. So as long as we act independent, think independent, and be independent, we are operating as a slave, as an orphan. Now let's read in verse chapter 15. It says here, For you have not received the spirit of bondage or the spirit of slavery again to fear. Now let's be really clear. I'm going to stop here for a second. That that, that you're not just a servant, but you're a servant to something, to someone called fear, called the spirit of fear. And fear, by the way, is the antithesis of love. And it is the very image that you are being conformed out of. So the orphan mindset, okay, let's be clear that the orphan spirit is not something that can get cast out of you. It's a, it's a way of thinking. And that way of thinking is rooted in fear. It has made you a slave to fear. Matter of fact, fear was how we got independent in the first place because Adam hid from the presence of God. Okay, okay, so we, you hide from the very, you hide from love. You're afraid of love. You're afraid of love. Why? Because love is naked. Love has no pretense. Love doesn't have to hide anything. Why? Because it's secure. And its identity is completely settled. And it's not dependent on your perception of it. So the spirit of fear, which is the root of the orphan mindset, it's the root. It is what we are slaves to, okay? Before our minds are renewed and we operate in full dependency where we are led by the spirit of God and our identity as sons is settled. So let me read it again. It says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Some translations say the spirit of sonship, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the Amplified, it says this, for the spirit which you have now received is not a spirit of slavery to put you once more in bondage to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption, the spirit producing sonship in the bliss of... The spirit of sonship, by the way, I love the way the Amplified says that, comes with the bliss, the bliss of daddy. The bliss of his presence, the bliss of being fully accepted and fully loved, the bliss of childlike freedom with no worries, with no insecurities. You have to learn all that mess. The bliss that we cry, daddy, 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 daddy. The bliss of being swung really high on the swing set, the thrill of sonship. Amen? Now, I just want to keep kind of building my case here because we've been translated out of all that mess. We've been translated out of that relationship with the spirit of fear, right? But we dwell on an orphaned planet. We live on an orphaned planet. We live on a planet where the spirit of fear rules, in many, many, many ways. 
the lives of people, entire systems are set up, founded on the spirit of fear. Now, it also talks about that it's not just the spirit of just fear, but it's it, in, in Hebrews it talks about that it, it's the master fears, fear of death. But I'm going to keep going here. I want to go to Luke now, and I want to talk about the prodigal son. Because the prodigal son, by the way, is really, I, I think that's wrong. Because it's a religious spirit that actually even titled that story. Because it's not a story about a prodigal son. It's a story of two sons. One of them just happens to be a prodigal. The other one happens to be religious. And both of those sons represent a manifestation of the orphan spirit. One is rebellion and taking your inheritance and not know how, not knowing what to do with it and not knowing how to steward it, and so therefore you abuse it. It's called license. It's called grace abused. All right? It's called lasciviousness. It's called no self-control, no self-government. So you don't know how to enjoy daddy's inheritance. Amen? And so you end up in self-destruction and self-abuse as a slave. But the religious brother, the elder brother, also didn't know how to enjoy daddy's inheritance. Amen? He was focused on the law and trying to earn it and comparisons. He was, he was completely stuck in insecurity. He did not have a secure relationship with his daddy. Matter of fact, he was trying to earn daddy's favor by being good. And he had a spirit of judgment on him because he had already judged himself. And so therefore, he had to come with a a spirit of judgment against his brother because that's the only way he was righteous was if he looked down on everybody else. His righteousness was based upon a standard apart from just the generosity of his daddy and the goodness of his daddy. And the reason that he was an inheritor was by birthright. It was because of his birthright, his birth into the family, that he received the inheritance. It's a gift. And so he couldn't receive the gift nor could he share the gift because he was too busy trying to earn something that was freely provided and trying to get everybody else to earn it too. So let's just read it to give it some context. It's in Luke 15, sorry, not Luke 14. In Luke 15, it says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided to them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered together and took his journey into the far country, where he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Let me just say this. Poverty is a manifestation of the orphan spirit in both cases. One has an inheritance that they can't enjoy because they're too busy trying to earn it. And one has an inheritance that they can't enjoy because they don't know how to use it. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Meaning, he was looking to the world. See that? Instead of his daddy. He was looking to the world instead of his daddy. And it says the citizen of this country sent him into his fields to feed swine. It's all kinds of things I could talk about that. That, Say job. 
And he would have fain had he filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave to him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he saw that he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, I want to stop here for a second because here's the deal. Um, He tried to become a slave. He said, I'll become a slave. But daddy before he ever even said that to his daddy, already had fallen on his face, came and had compassion, and he was already receiving him because he wasn't his son based upon anything that he could have done. And the son said to his father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth his best, the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. You know, here the father is saying, whoever said you had to be worthy to be my son? What does worthiness have anything to do with sonship? It's a way that you're born. It's a way that you're born again. For this is my son, verse 24, who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Verse 25. Now the elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, because daddy's house is a party. Heaven is a party. That's why it's likened to a wedding feast. It's a party where they make merry. And oh, by the way, they eat, not fast, they eat, and they dance, sacrilege, amen? They make merry, amen? Laughter is the serious business of heaven, that C.S. Lewis said. It's serious, you better be laughing, or you're going to have to have something cast out of you, some hell. In his presence is the fullness of joy. Amen. They're making merry. They're having music and they're dancing. In verse 26, it says, And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant, the elder son. And he said to him, Your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him back home safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. So his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me so much as a little kid that I might revel and feast and be happy and make merry with my friends. I deserve a party, Daddy. I deserve your blessings, Daddy. I did this, I did this, I did this, and then I did this. So why are you withholding from me, Daddy? I prayed that prayer. I prophesied. I spoke to that mountain. I gave my tithes. I I, I left all to follow you. I did X, Y, and Z, P, Q, and T. Now, where's my manifestation? Got to put it in some religious language. What? That riotous son of yours, that no good, lazy bum, blowing all of his money? What? Well, that just makes me mad. 
What kind of steward was he? My identity is based on what I do. Good and bad. You should have disowned him. He's not worthy to be a part of this family. He blew it. But when this son of yours, not my brother, when this son of yours arrived, who was who has devoured your estate with immoral women, you killed for him the fatted calf. Verse 31, the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Now, let me just finish it. It says, but it was fitting to make Mary and revel and feast and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I want to go back to 31. It says, all that is mine is yours. When you get this, and there's really a couple of avenues to get it. And I've taught on this a little bit for a little bit before because a widow spirit and an orphan spirit are just manifestations of kind of the same spirit of slavery that is in bondage to fear. And both the married and the adopted grasp that all that the father has is yours. Now listen, until you get this, you'll be working. And when you get it, you can start resting. And you can retire. Like me. And recognize that your only responsibility is to believe and do what daddy's doing. As many are as led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Last time I checked, the leader leads. What what if I don't know? What if he's going? What if I? I don't. I I, I need to. How do I follow? I need. I need. You know. Then you get all caught up on how you're following, and then your following becomes a work. Seeking becomes a work. Relationship is not work. Relationship is play. Relationship is enjoyable. Relationship is pleasurable. Intimacy is euphoric. I mean, if you if you liken it to, remember, I don't have time to kind of go into it. Maybe I will. Eternal life is knowing God. John 3.16 says, so... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. And then John 17, 3, Jesus said, and this is life eternal. He defined it. That you might know the one and only true God and Jesus Christ who he sent. And so eternal life is knowing God. Now, that knowing is a Greek word called gnosko. And that gnosko is a, one of the definitions for that. It's an intimate knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. It's not like we know Obama or we know Oprah, right? Or, or we know a lot of our friends on Facebook. We don't know them. We know their status, right? That's not intimacy. Amen? 
This is an intimate knowledge. It's a covenantial knowledge. It's the kind of knowledge that you get through a marital union covenant with God. All right? Matter of fact, this word gnosko was a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. It's an inside-out knowledge. It's an inside knowledge. It's an intimacy that is shared through union that is known and experienced through union. It's a union experience of the Father and a union experience of Jesus. So it's an it's a knowing. Okay, the Hebrew word is yada. And it's the same kind of knowing. And they use that as Adam knew Eve and she bore a son. That's why fruitfulness comes only through intimacy and only by abiding in union, by abiding in the vine, by a, as a branch connected to its source. It's a dependency. The branch is dependent on the vine. And through its dependency and security and Identity is a branch, it bears fruit. It releases the fragrance of Christ. The fragrance of Christ, the blossom, comes through the branch. All right? Now, so daddy told the elder son, all that I have is yours. So the bottom line is not, what do I need to do to get it? What do I need to do, Daddy, so you'll give me a party? We'll just have a party. It's your stuff. You know, my kids don't come and ask me to get something out of my refrigerator unless it's on a shelf they can't reach. It's their cereal. It's their milk. It's their cheese. It's their turkey. Matter of fact, we have to establish boundaries around what is not theirs because they think it's all theirs. You know, they'll get in my wallet and take my money. They'll get in my makeup and use my makeup, right? They'll get in my closet and get my jewelry. Why? It's ours. What's mine is theirs, and what's theirs is theirs. It's ours. It's ours. That's why prosperity in the kingdom is not a work. It's a belief. And I'll tell you, it makes the orphan spirit mad. Because it wants to work for it, it wants to earn it, and it wants to deserve it. And it wants to qualify others whether or not they should or shouldn't. The spirit of the world is not the spirit of adoption. Now, am I saying you don't work? Well, here's the point. Your relationship with work needs to change. I'm not saying that you don't work. The father works. Jesus said, so therefore I hitherto I work. I mean, Paul preached, hey, stop stealing. Get a job so that you can be a blessing to others. All right, so the motivation is totally different because there's only one motivation in the kingdom, and it's love. It's the foundation, the reason for everything. The reason we do anything is love. We love. We love. So your relationship with work has to be about love. If your relationship with work is about anything but love, then you're operating out of the wrong mindset. Love is your, is your motivation for everything. 
at your motivation for parenting. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about him and his. It's about love. You're not defined by your work, and you're not confined by your work. You're free. You're a son. Everywhere. Everywhere you're a son. There's no secular. There's no sacred. Everywhere is holy. The kingdom is everywhere. You're in the Father's business everywhere. Everything you do matters. You're Jesus everywhere. Sometimes you get paid for it, sometimes you don't. But love is your motive. And Daddy is ultimately your provider. So if he chooses to use a job, so be it. But here's the deal. Your job can't pay you enough unless it can compensate for daddy. Unless it's an expression of the wealth of your daddy, it's also not your limit. You don't live paycheck to paycheck because then your God would be mammon. You live from your inheritance and you do what daddy's doing. The idea that your money is not your own or sorry, the idea that your money is your own, that you need to steward, is an orphan mindset tied to poverty because you are wealthy beyond your wildest imagination. And whatever daddy is telling you to do, there is provision for. Period. So the question is, What are you doing? Now listen, I am talking to you as mature. I get it. Not everybody is. But I'm not going to talk to you any other way. Because you are called into maturity, which is dependency. And oh, by the way, he's going to finance your learning curve. And these storms that we go through along the way, yeah, okay, so the enemy's trying to kill you. Who has that authority? If you haven't gotten that lesson, then you might die. Hello? What are you afraid of? Dying in the storm? Well, Lesson number one. That's where we'll be. That's where we'll start, son. We'll start with you're not going to die in the storm. Now, how many storms is it going to take you before you learn you're not going to die in the storm? Uh Uh-oh, you died. Well, you're with me anyway. You can learn it here. You can learn it there. We're going to learn it. Death has no dominion over the sun. (laughs) Who we live in. Right? So the storms reveal orphan mindsets or sun mindsets. Period. That's it. Every trial, every tribulation, everything we're crying about, Everything we're moaning and groaning and bitching about. Hey. Yeah, I said it. It needs to be said because the murmuring is orphan. 
The complaining? Orphan. The pity? Orphan. Now, I get it. You don't just wake up and be like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to be an orphan anymore. But awareness is the first place to start. If you go through storms and you're not even aware, that storm's just tossing you, bam, 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 tossing you, tossing you, tossing you, and you're afraid, and you're whatever you're doing, You'll stay in that thing till you wake up. He's patient. That doesn't sound like patience. If he was patient, surely he would deliver me if he loved me. No. He does sometimes. He does. He does. He delivers us sometimes. But ultimately, deliverance is a manifestation of us not knowing who we are. Peter was learning to walk on water. I look at the storm, I look at the winds, and I began to sink. Grabs him, ye of little faith. Believing, believe, 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 believe. No, be, be a son, 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 be a son. Walk on water, be a son. Be a son. Be a son. All the storms just reveal it. You're a son. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. Mark 4. You know, Jesus was honest. He was just honest. He didn't cover it up with... He was compassionate, but he was honest. And Mark 4, in verse 35... It says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And leaving the the crowds, he took him with him, just as he was in the boat in which he was sitting, and there are other boats with him, and a furious storm of wind, of hurricane proportions. So this was no little, you know, just a little breeze. It arose, and the waves kept beating into the boat so that it was already becoming filled. But he himself was in the stern of the boat, asleep on the leather cushion. He was not concerned at all about the storm. And you know what? He wasn't faking it. He wasn't acting like he wasn't concerned about the storm. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing in the storm, which was making himself sleep. He just was really sleeping. (laughs) Right? Why? What's going to kill Jesus? He's going to have to be obedient unto death. He's going to have to submit to that thing. And he's got a mission from daddy that says he's got to go to the cross. So he already knows how it's all going to play out. Might as well take a nap, boys. Might get a little rough. He's sleeping. He knows the end. And it says here that, but they awoke him and said to him, do you not care that we're perishing? Accusing God of not caring about them being in a storm. They they attacked the character of God, the goodness of God, the provision of God, the protection of God. 
because of the circumstances. And he arose, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind ceased, it sank to rest, as if exhausted by its beating. And there was immediately a great calm, a perfect peacefulness. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith, no belief in me? And they were filled with great awe and feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who is this then? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Okay, so this is a compare and contrast. Orphan, son. How orphans react in situations and circumstances and how sons react in situations and circumstances. See, Jesus was established in sonship. He, he understood his union with his daddy. In John 5, he says this, verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For what things soever he does, these also the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son, and he shows him all things that he's doing, and will show him greater works than these, so that you will Marvel, says the Amplified, so that people will marvel, be full of wonder and astonished. And then he says in verse 30, I can do of my own self nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. And then John 10.30 says, I and my Father are one are one. So Jesus was operating and in oneness and this oneness was manifesting itself in dependency with the leader being the father. So in the union you have a leader. The father was Jesus's head. And Jesus is our head. That's why we're called the body. The body follows the leader. The head does the thinking. The body does the responding. And so, he, Jesus, was operating in sonship. And as a result of that, great wonders, great marvels. Storms were stilled, right? The sick were healed. Circumstances of all kinds were transformed through his relationship. Let's be clear, it's not a formula. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. It's not a formula. It's not a set of do's and don'ts, of principles. It is not that. What you, what, what the, the principle may or may not apply. Jesus took the law and mimicked and mocked it. The Lord cannot be contained in principles. That's why we can see miracles like it raining inside. Or whatever. I mean, he, he's a, he, he's, he, he has principles, but depending on principles rather than a person is a manifestation of an orphan spirit. Matter of fact, when you are dependent and you follow the Spirit, you'll end up working a principle. 
But the moment you make the principle the principal thing, you've just become an idolater. And you've looked to something besides a person as your source. Our source is a person. And the whole point is Gnosko. The whole point is relationship. The point is love. Love. That's the point. Love. Love between me and daddy. Love between me and Jesus. Love between me and the spirit that manifests in love towards others. Because of my relationship with him, I am love. I'm loved. I'm loved. I'm totally loved. Totally fulfilled. I'm totally secure. I am loved. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. And then if, what if my circumstances do lack something? What if I lack some healing? Or what if I lack some money? Or what if I lack some peace? Or what if I lack relational wholeness? Or, or what, what, if, what if I lack? What, what if I lack these things? What do I do? Talk to daddy. Talk. Relate. Relate. Ganasco. No. No. Just commune. Do union. Have intercourse. Now, just to correct that, I'm not saying go have sex with God. Okay, somebody somewhere will send me an email. I am not saying that. Okay, our union with God transcends sexuality. This is a spiritual union. It is that our spirits are joined to the Lord. Even Paul talked about it in terms of sex, though. In matter of fact, and he, he starts talking about being joined to a prostitute and how that's completely ridiculous don't you know that he that is one spirit with the Lord is joined? He that is joined the Lord is one spirit with him. Don't you know that your bodies are the very temple of the living God? He said, your body belongs to God. That's what he said. Let's look at that. Our bodies are God's. That's why in the marital relationship, it says that your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your spouse. Now listen, Jesus' body doesn't belong to him. It belongs to us. Our bodies are his, and his body is ours. We were crucified with him, buried with him. His body is though is it our is as though our body. We're his body. His body is us. Our body is not our own. We have a flesh for a God. We have flesh for God. Our, this this belongs to God. This is you are God's. You're not independent. You don't belong to yourself. You are God's very flesh, God's very bone. You are his, bought, purchased with his own blood, redeemed, placed in him, by him, for him. And you live in him. It is good, Chris, isn't it? You know, it's really good is I don't study for this stuff. First Corinthians 6, 15 says, Know you not that your bodies are members of Christ? Am I therefore to take parts of Christ and make them parts of a prostitute? Never, never. Or do you not know and realize that when a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? It is written, the two shall become one flesh. But the person who is united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So shun immorality and all sexual looseness. Flee from the impurity in thought, word and deed. 
Any other sin which a man commits is outside of the body, but he commits sexual immorally, sins against his own body. That means that you don't love yourself very much. Do you not know that your body is the temple, the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, whom you have received as a gift from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, purchased with a preciousness, and paid for, made his own. So then honor God and bring glory to him in your body. Now listen, this is not something you do to get God inside. It's something that you do because God's inside. That's a whole lot I talked about today. Um, now, let me just kind of prophesy for a moment, except it's just going to be talking. This house is destined to carry a massive move of God. Now, this house is you. You are destined to carry a massive move of God. The members of this body are destined to carry a move of God. In order to carry that move of God, you have to know you. And you have to know that you are a son. You are a son by birth in Christ. As much as Jesus is a son, you're a son. Matter of fact, you have your sonship because of Jesus' sonship. That's the definition of sonship. You're not a son because you're my spiritual son or daughter. You're a son because you're in Christ. And that sonship your union, your communion, your place and the security that you have in that place and the confidence that you have in that place, no matter what is going on around you, with whoever will determine how much of that move of God is released that you have the potential to release. So the storms that you are in right now, whatever they, whatever they look like, whether they're relational, whether they're financial, whether they're both, <laughs> whether they're whatever they are, all right? You're like an eagle that uses the storm. Because you're awake. Now, it's kind of interesting. In the Gospels and in the Bible, this asleep and awake thing is kind of interesting. See, the reason why Jesus slept in the storm is because he was awake. (laughs) Yeah, that'll preach. That'll, that'll, you got to sit on that. The reason you can sleep is because you're awake. And I'm going to end with this uh, encounter, and I feel like I'm supposed to do an impartation with you. A while ago, I had this encounter with God. It was at an ordination of someone, and I just ended up on the floor. I was on the floor for like an hour and a half in this encounter with God. And in this encounter, there were these um, cups all over the place. They were on chairs, the floor, they were everywhere. And they had this substance in them that looked like uh, thick water. It was thicker than water, but it was clear like water. And the cups were kind of, I don't know, advanced. They didn't look like normal. They looked like advanced kind of glass. They were very sci-fi. And um, I didn't really know what to do with them. I mean, obviously, I knew I probably should drink one. 
but I was a little afraid of them because I, it was like, I was nervous. It was going to just like, I was going to be out of my mind if I drank this thing, which was the point. <laughs> so I drank one and I mean, I literally was out of my mind. I mean, just drunk in the Holy Ghost, just totally out of my mind. I woke up from the encounter. Finally, I'm like, I'm not drinking any more of that. That's like rocket fuel or something. I got it. It was in the middle of encounter weekend. I'm thinking, I got an encounter weekend we got to do here. I can't just be down here just drinking this stuff. You know, my mind, my rational mind gets up. It's so funny because I told the encounter that day, and one of the ladies in the meeting actually took one of the glasses, drank it. It dissolved her gum. (laughs) Now, it's an imaginary cup, okay? Like, it doesn't exist except in the spirit realm. And it took faith to even be able to believe the encounter that I just shared. And it took faith to pick up the dang thing and drink it. And, and as a result, a manifestation, her gum was dissolved. This is not make-believe. The realm of the spirit is so real. But we're asleep. We're asleep. And so we live Naturally, we live in the Adamic orphan world. I went home. These dang glasses were following me everywhere. They're like up on the Chester drawer. They're in the bathroom. They're in the kitchen. They're everywhere. And, you know, after a while, the Holy Spirit would be like, well, why aren't you drinking your drink? I'm like, are you crazy? Like, I I can't live like this. He's like, can you live without it? He said, where I'm taking you, you're going to have to stay. You know, they call revivals awakenings. But that's not really kingdom. Kingdom is a lifestyle. Kingdom looks like Jesus, who was awake 24-7, even while he slept. So, I just speak, (laughs) awake, awaken to the reality of heaven, awaken to the reality of union, awaken to the realm of life. And I release just an encounter with my encounter. (laughs) Yeah, I just release, I release it in Jesus' name. And I just declare that the DNA of this house that has come from the head has come on the body. And that we are awake. Living as supernatural sons. Using the storms. To produce the manifestation of sonship. I declare that. Storms are producing manifestations of sonship. Storms are producing the manifestation of sonship through our lives. We are awake in every storm. We see and we hear and we stay connected even in the midst of a storm. And Father, I also release an awakeness that tells us when we're asleep. Oh. 
I release an awakeness that tells us when we're asleep. And I, I, I release a new relationship with storms. I release an awareness, the awake awareness, the consciousness that comes with awakeness in the storms. I release a new level of consciousness right now. I just release it in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Father, that the the words that I'm speaking are not conditional because they're spoken in your name and they're the words that you're speaking. And so I thank you that they're effective. (laughs) I thank you that they don't return void. And I thank you that they accomplish where to for what you send them to do. I thank you that it's something that's being done to us <laughs> so that something can be done through us. <laughs> and I thank you that it's being done to us even while we're unaware because we've been asleep. But I thank you that we're waking up. And so now we can even see what you're doing even in the midst of while you're doing it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And I thank you that you're better than even our limited imaginations of this. And we're really not even scratching the surface of what you're actually doing. We're just catching glimpses of it. But we're awakening to it. And the more that we wake up to it, yeah. It's like a snowball. It just gets more and more and bigger and bigger. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the sound of awakening. It sounds like laughter. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, we say, yeah, (laughs) we do. We say, yes, we say, yes. Awesome.